This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. That's L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X dot org. Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne. Chapter 24 During which Mr. Fogg and party crossed the Pacific Ocean. What happened when the pilot boat came in sight of Shanghai will be easily guessed. The signals made by the tankadier had been seen by the captain of Yokohama steamer, who, espying the flag at half-mast, had directed his course towards the little craft. Phileas Fogg, after paying the stipulated price of his passage to John Busby, and rewarding that worthy with the additional sum of five hundred and fifty pounds ascended the steamer with Aoda and Fix, and they started at once for Nagasaki and Yokohama. They reached their destination on the morning of the 14th of November. Phileas Fogg lost no time in going on board the Carnatic, where he learned to Aoda's great delight, and perhaps to his own, though he betrayed no emotion, that Passepartout, a Frenchman, had really arrived on her the day before. The San Francisco steamer was announced to leave that very evening, and it became necessary to find Passepartout, if possible, without delay. Mr. Fogg applied in vain to the French and English councils, and, after wandering through the streets a long time, began to despair of finding his missing servant. Chance, or perhaps a kind of presentment, at last led him into the Honorable Mr. Badalcar's theater. He certainly would not have recognized Passepartout in the eccentric mountain bank's custom, but the latter, lying on his back, perceived his master in gallery. He could not help starting, which so changed the position of his nose as to bring the pyramid pell-mell upon the stage. All this Passepartout learned from Aoda, who recounted to him what had taken place on the voyage from Hong Kong to Shanghai on the tankadier in company with one Mr. Fix. Passepartout did not change countenance on hearing his name. He thought that the time had not yet arrived to divulge to his master what had taken place between the detective and himself, and in the account he gave of his absence he simply excused himself from having been overtaken by drunkenness in smoke opium at a tavern in Hong Kong. Mr. Fogg heard this narrative coldly, without a word, and then furnished his man with funds necessary to obtain clothing more in harmony with his position. Within an hour, the Frenchman had cut off his nose and parted with his wings, and retained nothing about him which recalled the sectary of the god Tingu. The steamer, which was about to depart from Yokohama to San Francisco, belonged to the Pacific Mail Steamship Company, and was named the General Grant. 
She was a large paddle-wheel steamer of 2,500 tons, well-equipped and very fast. The massive walking beam rose and fell above the deck. At one end, a piston rod worked up and down, and at the other was a connecting rod, and changing the rectangular motion to a circular one, was directly connected with the shaft of the paddles. The General Grant was rigged with three masts, giving a large capacity for sails, and thus materially aiding the steam power by making 12 miles an hour. She would cross the ocean in 21 days. Phileas Fogg was therefore justified in hoping that he would reach San Francisco by the 2nd of December, New York by the 11th, and London on the 20th thus gaining several hours on the fatal date of the 21st of December. There was a full complement of passengers on board. Among the English, many Americans, a large number of coolies on their way to California, and several East Indian officers who were spending their vacation in making the tour of the world. Nothing of moment happened on the voyage. The steamer, sustained on its paddles, rolled but little, and the Pacific almost justified its name. Mr. Fogg was as calm and taciturn as ever. His young companion felt herself more and more attached to him by other ties than gratitude. His silent but generous nature impressed her more than she thought and it was almost unconsciously that she yielded to emotions, which did not seem to have the least effect upon her protector. Aoda took the keenest interest in his plans, and became impatient at any incident which seemed likely to retard his journey. She often chatted with Pispartu, who did not fail to perceive the state of the lady's heart, and being the most faithful of domestics, he never exhausted his allergies of Phileas Fogg's honesty, generosity, and devotion. He took pains to calm Aoda's doubts of successful termination of the journey, telling her that the most difficult part of it had passed that now they were beyond the fantastic countries of Japan and China, and were fairly on their way to civilized places again. A railway train from San Francisco to New York, and a transatlantic steamer from New York to Liverpool, would doubtless bring them to the end of this impossible journey round the world within the period agreed upon. On the ninth day after leaving Yokohama, Phileas Fogg had traversed exactly one-half of the terrestrial globe. The General Grant passed on the 23rd of November and the 180th meridian, and was at the very antipodes of London. Mr. Fogg had, it is true, exhausted 52 of the 80 days in which he was to complete the tour and there were only twenty-eight left. But though he was only halfway by the difference of meridians, he had really gone over two-thirds of the whole journey, for he had been obliged to make long circuits from London to Aden, 
from Aden to Bombay, from Calcutta to Singapore, and from Singapore to Yokohama. Could he have followed without deviation the 15th parallel, which is that of London? The whole distance would only have been about 12,000 miles, whereas he would be forced by the irregular methods of locomotion to traverse 26,000, of which he had on the 23rd of November accomplished 17,500. And now the course was a straight one, and Fix was no longer there to put obstacles in their way. It happened also on the 23rd of November that Pispartu made a joyful discovery. It will be remembered that the obstinate fellow had insisted on keeping his famous family watch at London time, and on regarding that of the countries he had passed through as quite false and unreliable. Now on this day, though he had not changed the hands, he found that his watch exactly agreed with the ship's chronometers. His triumphant was hilarious. He would have liked to know what Fix would say if he were aboard. The robe told me a lot of stories, repeated Pispartu, about the meridians, the sun, and the moon. Moon indeed, moonish more like. If one listened to that sort of people, a pretty sort of time one would keep. I was sure that the sun would some day regulate itself by my watch. Pispartu was ignorant that if the face of his watch had been divided into twenty-four hours, like the Italian clocks, he would have no reason for exhalation, for the hands of his watch would then, instead of as now indicating nine o'clock in the morning, indicate nine o'clock in the evening, that is, the twenty-first hour after midnight, precisely the difference between London time and that of the one hundred and eightieth meridian. But if Fix had been able to explain this, purely physical effect Pispartu would not have admitted even if he had comprehended it moreover if the detective had been on board at that moment Pispartu would have joined issue with him on a quite different subject and in an entirely different manner where was fixed at that moment he was actually on board the general grant on reaching Yokohama, the detective, leaving Mr. Fogg, whom he expected to meet again during the day, he repaired at once to the English consulate, where he at last found the warrant of arrest. It had followed him from Bombay and had come by the Carnatic, on which steamer he himself was supposed to be. Fix's disappointment may be imagined when he reflected that the warrant was now useless. Mr. Fogg had left English ground, and it was now necessary to procure his extradition. Well, thought Fix, after a moment of anger, my warrant is not good here, but it will be in England. The rogue eventually intends to return to his own country, thinking he has thrown the police off his track. Good, I will follow him across the Atlantic, as for the money, heaven grant there may be some left. But the fellow has already spent in traveling rewards, trails, bell, elephants, and all sorts of charges, more than five thousand pounds. Yet, after all, the bank is rich. His course decided on, he went on board the General Grant. 
he was there when mr fogg and aoda arrived to his utter amazement he recognized Pispartu, despite his theatrical disguise he quickly concealed himself in his cabin to avoid an awkward explanation and hoped thanks to the number of passengers to remain unperceived by mr fogg's servant on that very day however he met Pispartu face to face on the forward deck the latter without a word made a rush for him grasped him by the throat and much to the amusement of the group of americans who immediately began to bet on him administered to the detective a perfect volley of blows which proved the great superiority of french over english pugilistic skill when Pispartu had finished he found himself relieved and comforted fix got up in a somewhat rumpled condition and looked at his adversary coldly said have you done for this time yes then let me have a word with you but i in your master's interests Pispartu seemed to be vanquished by fix's coolness for he quietly followed him and they sat down aside from the rest of the passengers you have given me a thrashing said fix good i expected it now listen to me up to this time i have been mr fogg's adversary i'm now in his game ah cried Pispartu. you are convinced he is an honest man no replied fix coldly i think him a rascal Shh. don't budge and let me speak as long as mr fogg was on english ground it was for my interest to detain him there until my warrant of arrest arrived i did everything i could to keep him back i sent the bombay priests after him i got you intoxicated at hong kong i separated you from him and i made him miss the yokohama steamer Pispartu listened with closed fists now resumed fix mr fogg seems to be going back to england well i will follow him there but hereafter i will do as much to keep obstacles out of his way as i have done up to this time to put them in his path i've changed my game you see and simply because it was for my interest to change it your interest is the same as mine for it is only in england that you will ascertain whether you are in the service of a criminal or an honest man Pispartu listened very attentive to Fix, and was convinced that he spoke with entire good faith. "'Are we friends?' asked the detective. "'Friends? No,' replied Pispartu. "'But allies, perhaps. At the least sign of treason, however, I'll twist your neck for you.' "'Agreed,' said the detective quietly. Eleven days later, on the 3rd of December, the General Grant entered the Bay of the Golden Gate and reached San Francisco. Mr. Fogg had neither gained nor lost a single day. End of chapter 24 This has been a TBOL3 production.